Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say, so there will always be others that see it differently, and I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime, from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself. Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. I let my emotions get the better of me and I can remember pointing my finger at his chest and I remember saying to him in gritted teeth, I'm going to get you, you prick, if it's the last thing I do. I was the informant in a missing person case, which has never been solved. Although I'm sure I know who was responsible for her going missing, her husband, Murray Carter, who's deceased and doesn't have the ability to respond. So the following are my thoughts, my interpretations and my beliefs but they've never been proved in a court of law and Murray died an innocent man, uh, which is something that we all have to keep in mind, Uh, probably (laughs) more so me than you, as difficult as that is for me to accept. Uh, The reason I'm telling you about Lorraine Joy Carter, knee Yardley, today is that her beloved mother, June, passed away recently and I wanted to pay my respects to an adoring mum but a heartbroken mum 
who lost her only child, Lorraine, in circumstances none of us would ever want to endure or experience. So I'd like to pay tribute to June today. She had an incredible strength and was a loving wife and mother. June went to her grave, never ever knowing what happened to Lorraine. Where she was, she was never given the opportunity to say goodbye to her only child, but it wasn't through want of trying. June and her husband and Lorraine's father, Alan, they did everything humanly possible to keep Lorraine's memory alive. They'd ring me constantly when I was a detective at their missing persons unit, keeping me on my toes about anything new I'd discovered, any new witnesses or other people that I'd managed to find that might be able to help in the search for what happened to their daughter. They became intimately involved in Missing Persons Week and uh, victims of crime, and they've never given up looking and seeking the public's help. It's impossible to imagine their grief unless we've walked in their shoes, which I hope I never do. Once I left Missing Persons Unit, we would correspond and ring each other from time to time, including Christmas. They also wanted to be assured Lorraine's investigation didn't gather dust and get forgotten. They were dogged in their fight to keep Lorraine forefront in not only my mind, but every other detective at Missing Persons Unit. I remember their angst in making the decision to move away from their family home where Lorraine had grown up in, in case Lorraine came home one day. And I know so many people who grapple with the same emotions. But they eventually relented and found happiness down by the seaside in a lovely group of uh, units with a great social group and support when and if they ever needed it. It was a new life for them and one which they just loved. They deserved to find some peace and happiness after the heartache of Lorraine going missing. So, Alan, my thoughts are with you. Uh, I know you're surrounded by your many friends and family and it will be a different life for you now without your wife of 64 years. Isn't that amazing? Uh, June is now free in a sense, free from the worry of where Lorraine is, if she's okay, if she's warm, if she's been looked after. I hope I can portray Lorraine's life in a way which respects her and all those people involved in the search for Lorraine. Lorraine was born on the 28th of January 1958 to June and Ellen Yardley with a number of complications and challenges. Uh, she attended a special school in Bendigo where she made some lifelong friends. Lorraine struggled academically uh, at school but she defied many professionals and looked after herself pretty well other than uh, the, on the financial side but uh, she is not the Lone Ranger there. She lived with her parents most of her life um, until the last couple of years of her life, actually, uh, and she'd held a couple of part-time jobs and she received a disability pension. Lorraine's best friend was her little dog, Chloe. Chloe went everywhere with Lorraine. Uh, Chloe was a little ball of uh, white fluff. Uh, Lorraine also had the unwavering love and support of her parents, whom she had a really close bond with. Uh, she'd also, Lorraine, had had a few short relationships, but she was very, or well, she'd been unlucky in love, but then she met Murray, where she became even 
unluckier. In June 1998, June and Alan purchased a caravan and stayed at a a Phillip Island caravan park frequently. And Lorraine loved it so much that uh, she would often stay down there on her own and her parents had come back home and do whatever they had to do. Phillip Island is a beautiful little hamlet, I suppose, (laughs) about one and a half hours southeast of Melbourne and it fills with holiday makers, uh, campers, caravanners at the many caravan parks which take advantage of the beautiful coastline and beautiful beaches down there. It's famous for its surf uh, where it hosts a lot of international surfing contests and it's got a really cute little nightly penguin parade. Um, well, I don't know which I think most of us listening or a lot of us listening would have been to at some time in our life, probably when we were kids. It's also uh, Phillip Island hosts the Motorcycle GP Grand Prix and a few other car races, including including uh, the V8 supercars. In uh, 2000, Lorraine met Murray Lionel Carter and Murray owned an on-site van at the same caravan park and they quickly formed a relationship as Murray was on his own too. So um, it it suited them both really well. Uh, Murray was 11 years older than Lorraine and soon, as happens with a lot of relationships, uh, they moved in together and Lorraine began living in Murray's caravan. Until meeting Murray, uh, Lorraine would ring her parents almost daily But as happens to many of us, falling in love changes our priorities. Uh, And Lorraine's newfound romance took precedence over mum and dad. Cop that, mum and dad. (laughs) Uh, Lorraine was no different to many of us, but her calls to mum and dad became sporadic and less and less. And this concerned them because Lorraine, uh, (laughs) Lorraine was in love and It really didn't matter what mum and dad said. Murray was her number one priority. Murray and Lorraine then moved from the caravan to a house in Cape Patterson, a little bit more south from Phillip Island, but not far. Um, Lorraine or her parents weren't aware that in his late teens, Murray was jailed for five years for car thefts and robbery with violence, including where he hit a shop owner over the head with a spanner, which caused a serious injury. Now, I know we can make excuses for teens going out and mucking up, but hitting a shop owner over the head with a spanner is going way over what, obviously, what might be acceptable as mucking up or being a little bit mischievous. After being paroled, Murray married his girlfriend, who he'd been seeing prior to going to jail, and they had two daughters. But the family dynamics changed when Murray had a brain aneurysm in 1999. And sadly, after 35 years of marriage and trying her best, his wife just couldn't manage his changed personality anymore and they separated. From the investigations that I carried out regarding uh, myself and my colleagues uh, carried out regarding Lorraine's disappearance, we uncovered many aspects of Murray's first marriage that were so similar to his marriage to Lorraine. Um, Murray was a very controlling man, and this was prior to his aneurysm. His controlling, manipulative personality just couldn't be hidden. He controlled 
the finances, and this is of both um, Murray's first wife and Lorraine. He controlled their finances. Um, He had a number of affairs with his first wife, including one when his wife was in hospital giving birth to their second daughter. Need I say any more? He ostracised both his wife and uh, Lorraine, his first wife and Lorraine, from uh, their families. After Murray's aneurysm, he became erratic, embarrassing and abusive and his family could no longer tolerate his behaviour and he left the family home. He tried to return but his wife wouldn't allow it and there were unsubstantiated allegations of historical, physical and sexual assaults. Due to his threats and abuse, his wife and daughters were granted an intervention order. So we go back to uh, Kate Patterson and 2001, Lorraine and Murray have moved to the house in Cape Patterson, but unfortunately and sadly, almost as soon as they moved in, neighbours reported hearing loud arguing, yelling and screaming, and they noticed Lorraine had visible injuries and police attended numerous times. In July of 2001, they married. Uh, Murray organised pretty much everything to do with the uh, wedding, including Lorraine's dress. His control was becoming really difficult to ignore, but Lorraine was so very, very happy. Her wedding day, like any of ours, was the happiest day of her life and which meant the world to uh, June and Ellen. But they were concerned from the very start because they hoped, like we all would, that things would improve, but unfortunately how very wrong they were. Murray's violence towards Lorraine escalated and six weeks after the wedding, Lorraine told her mum that he'd been hitting her with a chair and that they were fighting constantly. In fact, Lorraine told her mum one time that she'd had suicidal thoughts but then admitted to her mum, oh, look, that's just a silly idea. But she said, you know, she did mention it. Uh, Neighbours in Cape Patterson, they rescued Lorraine Oh, a lot of times, and on one occasion, described the shock that they experienced at seeing Lorraine's injuries. She looked like she'd had a hell of a hiding. She had scratches, bruises, and swelling to the face and over her body. Lorraine told the neighbours that she'd been thrown across a room against a cupboard, and they observed injuries to her rib area, bruising and raw skin, which appeared to have been ripped. These days, with the new family violence teams and investigators, this would have been jumped on immediately and steps taken. But back then, it was tolerated and seen as interfering if you happen to want to check up on someone or reported suspected violence in the home. And I'm ashamed to say, and at times many of us in policing would have taken phone calls about domestic arguments and disagreements, and we didn't treat it as a priority, the priority it should have been. As I said, I'm ashamed to admit this, but it was a different world back then. And what we'd call a domestic, it was put on the back burner and attended when we had time. Family violence was, um, it was... It's wrong to say, but I can't think of another word. It was a pain to attend. Um, And what, again, what a shameful period that was. People wanting help and we didn't give it the importance and attention that it deserved. 
But it wasn't only a police attitude back then, it was in general society. Uh, I also remember the huge amount of paperwork when we did attend a domestic situation and the forms were a nightmare because of the information that was required on that just wasn't tick and flick. You had to sort of write, it was really like an essay, and it would take you off the road for hours for one domestic. So other stations had to pick up the jobs that you couldn't attend. And again, I know that situation has changed now and thank goodness it has. Now we treat family violence and give it the priority that it absolutely deserves. Uh, It is a priority now, not put on the back burner. Lorraine, um, getting back to Lorraine, she attended um, the Centre Against Sexual Assault causes and counsellors many times seeking assistance, but she always returned to Murray. Counsellors and other professionals um, observed injuries to Lorraine, including bruising. And in this sense, uh, Lorraine did what so many people in abusive relationships do, that they return to their abusive partner because Lorraine believed that things would improve, things would change, and she thought that it was her fault and that uh, she deserved what she got. That's what she used to tell her mum. And besides, I always remember June telling me this, that she said, mum, I agreed to marry him and I and I took my vows seriously. God love Lorraine. Um Lorraine told a counsellor that Murray was pressuring her into a crimes comp application for a historical matter, but it was obvious to the counsellor that Lorraine didn't understand the crimes comp process. And I've got to say she's not in her own there, and uh, she didn't want the money. Murray was the one pressing her. Lorraine detailed uh, Murray's obsession in controlling the finances, and she'd tell her mum that he'd withdraw her pension and that she'd never see it. She had no idea how much money they had. She never had any money in her purse. She might have had 50 cents or a dollar, but that was about it. In April 2002, Lorraine and Murray moved to a family-owned run-down old timber farmhouse in uh, northwest Victoria. The farmhouse had no electricity, no gas, but it was rent-free and electricity and gas was connected. I'm not really sure why they would go there other than to save money, but with no gas and no electricity, I just can't imagine what what would (laughs) encourage you to move there, although clearly Lorraine had no say in the matter. The farmhouse was isolated. It was 500 metres from the road and five kilometres to the closest town. It had a a river about 100 metres from the back door and apart from one farmhouse maybe 600 metres away, the closest neighbour was around three k's away. And and this is another behaviour which occurs quite often in abusive relationships where the abuser will isolate the victim, not only from family, but friends, neighbours and anyone else, acquaintances, whoever. So what happens is that the, um, the person being abused, they have nowhere to go. They've got no one to talk to. So the abuser basically controls their life. And what happens is the victim becomes very dependent on the abuser. So it's often 
comes down to it's a choice. Do I leave? And if I do, how do I get there? Where do I go? Where will I sleep? Uh, Where will I stay? Or do I just stay and bear the abuse and hope the abuse in whatever form is over ASAP? Alan and June, they received many distressed phone calls from Lorraine, who was in fear and being assaulted by Carter. She said a few times to her mum that, or yeah, her mum or uh, Alan, that she was scared that Murray might kill her. They've seen her face, mouth bloodied and bruised, and black eyes from his violence to the point where they felt sick. Lorraine told them of being thrown to the floor and being knocked unconscious. In fact, one time she said to her mum and dad that she was so scared she'd wet herself as he was trying to choke her. Lorraine and Carter attended a number of government services requesting financial assistance and during one session, Murray admitted to having difficulties coping with Lorraine's outbursts and admitting to hitting her. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This wasn't the first time that he'd admitted. Um, hitting her to professionals. On the 9th of July, a very significant day, June rang Lorraine to advise her of the death of a family friend. Lorraine didn't have enough money to buy a card and she asked her mum if she could send a card on her behalf. This is the last time that her mother or anybody else ever spoke to Lorraine. 
On Tuesday the 16th of July, so that's a week later, Murray rang June and Ellen, asking, have you seen or heard from Lorraine? He said that she'd walked out of the house the previous morning, so the 15th of July, with uh, June's handmade calico handbag and $150 in cash after an argument. Uh, She'd left her phone at home. This worried June and Ellen considerably because her mobile phone was her security blanket. She never went anywhere without it. Plus, she didn't take her medications. So five days previous, Lorraine hadn't had enough money to buy a card for the friend that had passed away and she hadn't had a Centrelink payment, so how could she have had $150? Alan rang the local police station on the night of the 16th, the night that Murray had rung them, asking where she was or if they'd seen her, and they attended Uh, the house where Lorraine lived with Murray and he gave them the same story that she'd walked down the driveway after an argument but this time he said that she'd had $190 in her purse. So the following day, the 17th of July 2002, Alan reports Lorraine missing to his local police station. The following day, the 18th of July, Murray attend Centrelink and would you believe he requests a single pension because he stated that his wife had left him. Now, apparently uh, with Centrelink, you get more money on a single pension than you do than a couple. So he's already thinking about money more than his wife. What they found also, the local police did a couple of inquiries and they found that uh, Murray had been withdrawing Lorraine's pension. He'd also been giving different accounts of what had happened. To somebody else he'd said that she'd met another man, um, but a couple of times he did also state that she'd walked out of the driveway with her mum's calico bag. The fact that she left her mobile there was a concern because she took that everywhere. But he also tells police that, uh, you know, he says 150, then he says 100, then he says 190. So the amount that she had was changing all the time. He also told uh, the police that he'd inquired at the local store to see if they'd seen Lorraine. But on checking with the local store, they'd never, Murray had had never been in to ask about Lorraine. He might have been, I think he'd gone in to buy cigarettes and milk and whatever, but he'd never, ever asked if they'd seen Lorraine. He'd also never contacted any of Lorraine's friends as to her whereabouts. Murray had grown up in the area where they were living and he knew the place back to front. And unfortunately, I couldn't help but think that he'd also know where to hide something or someone that he never wanted anyone to find. Now, we then go to the 3rd of September of 2002. So what's that, about six weeks after she goes missing and um, Missing Persons Unit take over the investigation. Now, I can't recall why it took so long, but it was far too long. These investigations need to be determined whether they're suspicious or otherwise very, very quickly. And I've said before, 
it's one of the hardest parts about a missing person report. Is there a chance of criminality? Are there suspicious circumstances? And it's often really difficult to determine. I know that there must have been a good reason, if only I could remember it, as to that six-week gap. But I can tell you one thing. It wouldn't have missed the lovely Helen H's uh, never-fail-gut radar. (laughs) She would have seen it the minute it was reported. But how it took so long for the team to take over just escapes me. The longer it takes, obviously, for an investigation to begin, the more chance there is if there are suspicious circumstances that important evidence can be destroyed, that can be changed and or discarded. And the longer that we take to speak with witnesses, etc., the more their memory fades. So we were really on the back foot from the beginning through no fault of Alan and June's or the local police. I, as I said, I don't know what the problem was, but we didn't take it on for quite a while. Um because Alan and June, they reported Lorraine missing at the very first instance, the first inkling that they believed something was wrong. Uh, The lovely H uh, did the usual checks that we do when we first take on a missing person case. Um, She checked with with Centrelink, uh, DHHS or DHS back in that day, immigration to make sure she hadn't uh, flown anywhere or travelled anywhere, Medicare nationwide, births, deaths and marriages, Vic Roads, Electoral Office, National Tenancy Database, CASA. H did all that and never found any any indications of uh, Lorraine having contacted anyone. So we take over on the 3rd of September, remember? Well, on the 4th of September, the following day, we're advised by the local detectives that Murray had just been into the local pawn shop in, I think it was Aubrey, um, and he'd pawned some of Lorraine's jewellery. And he told the saleswoman that his wife had left him. In all honesty, and I know people react really differently to grief, but I really struggle to understand how anyone could ever consider selling some jewellery of a person that you allegedly love when you don't know where they are and if they're coming back. The only reason I could think of was that he knew she wasn't coming back. Pardon me, but the tight ass. That tight, he was just a tight ass with money, and he sold anything of hers he could just to have some extra cash. For me, it was just another nail in the coffin. And yes, I'm showing, I'm going to show my true colours here, but it never ever stopped me from talking to those who supported Murray. Um, if there was evidence to be taken and or seized. Whether it was uh, it helped Murray or didn't help Murray, it didn't matter. I treated it like any other evidence. But I'm just saying it doesn't stop me, it didn't stop me, from thinking that he was a pig of a man. But we, and we've never been able to find any evidence to suggest that Lorraine was alive after the 15th of July of 2002. Now, on the 10th of October, we we do our, you know, we're uh, doing a lot of investigating behind the scenes and speaking to people, travelling to the local area and talking to people. But on the 10th of October, 
um, we asked if we could have the assistance of search and rescue. What they would do is they'd come up in the chopper and they would search the uh, the river and the land around in the chopper and then they'd uh, search the river in a boat. And it's seldom in an investigation like this that there's too many light moments, but I'm going to share one with you, which has stayed with me and many others since then. I might just set the scene for you if I can. Uh, And I've got to say it's one of the more awkward moments I had as a detective. So what happens is search and rescue come up in the chopper to help in the search. Uh, They're going to search the river in a little blow-up dinghy type of thing plus an air search. So we meet them at a a designated piece of land where the chopper can land without any – there was not a tree in sight. They – park the chopper next to the river and, of course, a couple of the locals have gathered, as most do when a chopper lands anywhere. (laughs) And so we as the detectives, there's uh, I think there might have been three or four of us and our sergeant. Anyway, we greet Search and Rescue, the the boys, and and, uh, they ask who's coming with them in the boat. Now, I'm not sure if I offered or I was told, but I was quite happy to go with them in the boat and search the river. it just seemed something a little different, I suppose, at the time. And look, looking back, nobody's ever admitted this, but I've got a feeling I may have been set up. Surely not. But they all, like, so the search and rescue boys, they're all just standing there and in front of everyone, they start stripping down, taking their gear off, and they've stripped down to their jocks. And they're putting on wetsuits, they're putting on life vests, etc. And I stood there like a deer in the headlights and I'm thinking, so where am I going to strip down to and uh, change into the wetsuit that they had for me? So I thought, well, I'll just grit my teeth and, oh, well, went in Rome. So because so, there was nowhere to change. There was nowhere to stand behind. There was nothing, not even a, a bush in sight. So I took off my lovely detective suit and my nice shoes with not a care in the world. Well, oh, that's what I wanted them to think. Oh, my God. And then I had to stand there waiting for the search and rescue boys to get my wetsuit from the chopper. Awkward. <laughs> uh, we've laughed about that ever since. There was not, as I've said to you, there wasn't a tree in sight. And I'm pretty sure on this particular day, I had my granny undies on because it was so bloody cold. You know those undies, the big undies that just tuck, about tuck up under your armpit? Yeah. So here's these bodies in front of me to die for, pretty ripped, looking pretty damn hot, I've got to say. And here's Narelle in her grundies. Anyway, moving on. So I'm pretty sure that by now you will have gathered that I didn't like Murray from the minute I met him and I did what a detective should never, ever do. We went to his house after this search and rescue to conduct a search of his house and I let my emotions get the better of me and I can remember pointing my finger at his chest and I was gritting my teeth and I remember saying to him in gritted teeth, 
I'm going to get you, you prick, if it's the last thing I do. I know you've done it and I just have to prove it. Unfortunately, I had to eat my words because we never did prove it because we never found her. You know, I said before that Alan had ring constantly. Alan would ring every Monday without fail. And Alan had such a happy, always he had such a happy disposition. He'd go, hello, love, just wondering how you are, how's the investigation going, if there's anything that's happened, anything to report. Oh, my my heart would drop and I'd just say, oh, I'm sorry, Alan, but no, I've got nothing further, not at this point. And, you know, you've got no idea how difficult it is to continually give somebody like Alan bad news. I constantly felt so very guilty that I couldn't uncover what had happened to Lorraine. I felt that their happiness depended on me. Well, I suppose it did in a way. Um, And I found that a lot of weight to carry. But I have since found out that that is one of the signs of my PTSD. Uh, I'm not sure if it's with others, but I felt that I was responsible for everybody's happiness and safety in the world, including Alan's um, and June's. The responsibility I felt was often overwhelming and I began to dread Mondays and Alan's calls in a way, but he was also just so very understanding. We uh, now come to the 12th of December and uh, we do another search of Murray's house. Uh, it's under warrant, um, but this time we look under floor, but we, um, uh, what do you call it, um, take up some floorboards on the veranda. We go through everything with a fine tooth comb and we happen to locate the calico bag that Murray had said Lorraine had left with. That's really the only thing that we found in that search. As I said, we uh, took up floorboards from, from around the veranda. But the house that they lived in, I don't quite know how to explain it. It, it was cold. It had, oh, it just had no warmth to it. And I don't mean heat, I just mean emotion, emotionally. It just, it was. I found it an awful house. It found it a bit creepy. Um, there was just, it was sparse. There was, you know, there was um, floorboards, like bare floorboards. They hadn't been polished or anything. There were holes in the walls. There were, oh, the, <laughs> it just would have been an awful place to live, an awful, scary lonely place to live. I remember we uh, we did take the contents of the vacuum cleaner, I think, and some other bits and pieces. We found a few splatters uh, on walls, but I don't think we were ever able to determine that they were Lorraine's. But uh, so on the 9th of July 2003, uh, things happen and we don't really get very far. We continue on, but not a lot really um, happens until the 9th of July 2003 when Murray ends his life. He commits suicide and he left a note blaming police. 
And in that note, he said that he didn't kill Lorraine. And I must admit, I've always wondered. So, you know, just that little pang of, God, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he wasn't a pig after all. Maybe he's Narelle stops thinking ridiculous. But I'm saying, I always wondered, well, if he did kill her, why wouldn't he have said it in the note? was just a, a bit of a, a niggle in that mind of mine. And, you know, Lorraine had a memorial about 12 months after she went missing, which I was invited to, and I remember sitting up the back of the church and listening to these beautiful stories that you hear at funerals about a loved one. And Alan was uh, giving a beautiful eulogy and I, I could feel myself wanting to cry. But, you know, when you, your throat starts to hurt because you're trying to hold back. And in the end, when Alan mentioned me and my tenacity in my investigating or whatever, he said some lovely things and I just couldn't stop the tears. Uh, I felt really embarrassed and awkward uh, but humbled by the kind words which had been said about me. Alan and June were just so strong. Uh, an inquest was held into Lorraine's um, disappearance and suspected death in 2004 and it was determined by the coroner that there was foul play involved and that Lorraine was no longer alive and the coroner found that Murray was implicated in all likelihood alone in her death. So rest in peace, June. Every time I hear of human remains being found, I always hope in a really strange way that it's Lorraine so that both you and Alan can rest easier. Well, you are resting easier. It couldn't ease the pain for June, but wouldn't it be a relief in a way if Alan was able to find out where his daughter is? Alan's now alone in one way, but June and Lorraine will always be with him in other ways. And as for you, Murray... I apologise to his friends and family, but I can't pretend to care. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.